Hello, everyone, and welcome to A Prisoner's Pardon Podcast, a weekly podcast designed to help you put aside any doubts to the realness of spiritual prisons. As always, what these prisons look like and their dynamics will be the topic with the end goal to help anyone escape using the insight that will be brought to you here. Michi J will be your host, and she's the author of the book A Prisoner's Pardon, which this podcast is an outgrowth of. Please be advised this show will be only giving an account of personal experiences and testimonies. Each individual is different and in no way advising how to specifically address a particular person's situation. We ask that you always seek the advice of a pastor and or other authority for assistance. Now, let's jump into today's episode. Hello, everyone. This is Michi J, and I'm coming from a Prisoner's Pardon podcast. And we have a special guest here today. His name is Eddie Tampa, and he's out of El Paso, Texas, you guys. Guess what? He was a former chief of police. He was a chief deputy. He also, listen here, he also was in 2017 named Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Humanitarian of the Year by the NAACP. He is a leader who believes in diversity and that a workforce should mirror the community they serve. He has so many attributes now. He has a master's degree in criminal justice and security administration. He owns his own business. He's working on his PhD, but most important, he has a new book out. It's called Unmasking Leadership, What They Don't Tell You. Everyone, welcome Eddie Campa to our show. Eddie, Thank you. Uh, thank you for having me. I appreciate the introduction. <laughs> I, I, um, I, when I hear people introduce me, I get tired all of a sudden. Oh, you have a lot of merits <laughs> here. A lot of merits. So, Eddie, what didn't I mention? What, I'm sorry? What didn't I mention in your, tell us about who you are. Um, so, well, we, you know, um, it's funny because uh, one of the things you didn't mention is that uh, you know, I, I shouldn't be where I am at where I am today, uh, based on the circumstances I grew up in. You know, I was I was your typical stereotype, Mexican Hispanic stereotype. You know, I was born and raised to a single parent, my mother. You know, who dropped out of school in the eighth grade so she could help my grandmother raise her siblings so they could make sure that they had a good a good life. And my mother sacrificed herself, you know, at, at a young age to help my grandmother and. She worked in a garment factory all her life, you know, making minimum wage, working two or three jobs to keep a roof over our head. I was kind of a latchlock kid, key, uh, kid, and you know, I was actually raised by my grandmother. Learned English as my second language. Uh, born on the wrong side of the tracks. Didn't have a father figure. Didn't have a family support from the extended family because you know I was supposed to be the the kid that was the black sheep. You know, I wasn't supposed to accomplish anything because, you know, I, I didn't have that male role model. I didn't have the structured family. My mom wasn't around all the time. I, you know, I I always joke with people, don't ask me to change your motor oil or do anything manly, but hey, ask me to cook and sew and clean like I can knock that out. You know, um, so I wasn't supposed to be where I am today based off of those circumstances. You know, I even had an uncle who once said that, it, you know, we would, we would be happy and we'll be glad and, and praise God if Eddie, you know, at least ends up being the manager of McDonald's. No, no offense to anybody who works at McDonald's just because, you know, those people actually make some pretty decent money, the managers and the GMs and stuff. Right. Yeah. But uh, he, he meant it more of an insult and said, you know, we'll just be lucky if he can at least accomplish that and doesn't end up 
you know, in prison and behind bars or a drug dealer. So that was one of the things you didn't mention. Uh, people are usually shocked when, when they read my resume and find out that, you know, I've accomplished everything that I did coming from that background. Yes, that is um, quite unusual to go so far up to be a, you know, the chief of police. That's amazing. That is really amazing. So could you tell us a little bit about this No Color, No Labels initiative that you, that you started? Yeah, so I started that uh, back in 2015 as a response to my new assignment as chief of police in a very racially motivated community, very, very uh, racially motivated and divided community where I was brought in to change change the culture of uh, of the community and the police department. And the initiative was designed to remove the preconceived notion that the people had that the police were racially motivated. Uh, so it was a grassroots a- effort that, that, that involved bringing unity and equity and equality and, and diversity to, to the entire community, including the police department, where we all worked as one unit uh, to help reduce crime, to, to bring uh, awareness to, to our community and bridge the gaps that had been dividing that community through racial division. We did that through cultural event meals. We did that through faith-based organizations. We did that by building partnerships with the academia, private and public sector, and uh, showed that when you when the community doesn't fear the police or works with the police, we can accomplish a whole lot. Um, you know, we were able to reduce crime by, you know, by 20%, uh, uh, by 20% that uh, during that time, we bridged the gap between the communities. We, we, the police department went from being 95% Caucasian to being, you know, probably about 75% Caucasian. We were able to bring in different diversity, different officers and stuff like that. We were fully staffed. We became Texas best recognized practices, uh, changed our policies, procedures, developed a, a partnership with Cool Cups uh-huh. Ice Cream. Uh, I mean, it just went on and on and on and, and it just helped bridge the, the racial division that was there at least that was what the community thought we were doing. Uh, the community, while the community was very accepting of it and moving forward and, and going that direction, the officers from within the agency refused to buy into it. They went along with it as they said, we'll go along with this idea that you have because you're the boss and we're gonna go along with it up until the point that we can get rid of you. Um, so I always look at it as my greatest success and my greatest failure because I was able to get a whole community to buy into the vision that we had. And unfortunately, because of the simple minded of some of those officers, we weren't able to accomplish the entire vision, which is really sad. Yeah, because 20% is a lot to reduce crime. I don't understand that they don't receive. That's a big impact. So were these... Um, Superior? I'm sorry? Were the officers that didn't want to go along with the program, were they superior? Um, no, no, I was the police chief. Now you got to remember, I was the I was the ultimate authority there. And, and you got to remember that as the as the police chief, I was the first minority police chief to lead that organization. And I was the first minority to lead that organization with the task of changing the culture. Now these were officers that were that were there. I was coming in as an outsider. I was coming in from from a big city, and they weren't used to taking, as they said, taking orders from a Mexican. Wow. 
So I always tell people, for those people who really don't think that the, there's a racial division, uh, I lived it. Uh, I was there and, and I saw a racial division. And, and for people who say the police officers, and I'm not, look, I've been a cop for 27 years. So I'm not saying that every single police officer out there is, is bad or wrong or anything like that. What I'm saying is that there is a problem and we need to change it. And I and don't tell me there isn't because I lived it. You know, you know what I'm saying? Wow. That's, you don't have many officers coming out and admitting that. Oh, no, of course. No, no one's going to admit that. No one's going to, I mean, you know, you know how much, I mean, I'll be very honest with you. I, I have I have made a career of of having enemies and, and and upsetting people because of the way I think and the way I believe and and I'm, I'm outspoken. I do things I do things because they're the right thing to do. You know, I uncover things. You know, as a as a police officer, we're sworn to protect and defend our community. We're sworn to protect those that that that, that cannot defend themselves. We're we're the keepers of the peace. But where people always, especially police officers, lose their touch is they they, they forget. That what we are is we're public servants. We're servants of the public, not the other way around. For sure. You know? And and a lot of police officers are leaving the ranks today because they're being overshadowed by the bad officers that are out there. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, you do have the good and the bad in there. And I was just wondering how was that playing out? Now, in your book, Unmasking leadership, what they don't tell you. It, are you mentioning a lot of this in there? We do mention a little bit about it, but this is this book is based more on leadership. And, and you know, okay. when you reach a leadership position, a lot of the times today's leaders are ill prepared for that position to take over those roles because of the fact that that you know no one ever really tells them the dark side of leadership. You know, nobody, nobody really tells them the dark side, the dark side of leadership. And what I mean by the dark side of leadership is, is you move up the ranks. It's very important for you to understand your leadership ability, your leadership style. What kind of leader do you want to be? Do you want to be a dictator, an authoritarian, a lazy fair? Do you want to be a visionary? Do you want to be a coaching a leader? You have to know with the concept of the leadership that you take, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of people fail to do that. So that's one of the things they don't tell you about. The other thing is that people will always tell you how great it is being at the top. Oh, you're the boss. You make the decisions. You make the money. That's why you get paid the big bucks. Yaddy, yaddy, yaddy. But they don't fail to tell you that you also, because you make the big bucks, you're the one who always loses sleep. Your, your, your mind doesn't stop racing 24 hours a day. You, you develop haters. You develop people that are going to be out there and say negative things about you to discredit you and, and, and make you look bad and things like that. You're never, they're never prepared for that. People always have this misconception that as a leader, you're supposed to put people first as opposed to putting the leader first. However, when you get on an airplane, what's the very first thing they tell you in case of an emergency and the oxygen mask falls, who do you place that oxygen mask on first? Oh. On yourself, right? You put it on yourself because you can't help others if you're not mentally, spiritually, or physically capable of helping yourself, then you can't help others move forward. And what I always say by saying this, because I've had critics tell me, well, so you mean you should be the first one to get a pay raise and the new equipment? I said, man, that's not what I'm saying. Listen to it. You got to understand what I'm saying. There's a difference between hearing me because you're hearing me. You can hear what I'm saying, but you're not listening. You know, when, when you listen, you can be, you're able to decipher that what I'm saying is that you have to put yourself spiritually, emotionally, and physically 
first in order to help bring other people along with you because you got to set that example. Now, yes, when it's time for the pay raise, you should not be the first one to get the pay raise. The people that are following you should be the ones getting the pay raise. The new equipment goes to them. What I'm saying is that when it comes time to a work-life balance, that leader needs to know how to balance his career and his family and his free time in order to be able to provide a well-balanced uh, organization so everybody can follow and take an example of, of his page. That's what I'm saying. I hope okay, that makes so, sense. Yeah. So you, you really help a, a leader understand all those things and get them balanced in that way? Right. And that's what the book is about. And the, and, the, okay. and the book goes into those details as to how to actually understand leadership and how you need to go ahead and, and, and stop listening to the noise. I'm sorry, stop hearing the noise and listen to it. You know, because if you stop and you and you and you and you hear and you throw a stone at every dog that barks at you, you're never going to get far. But if you know the difference between hearing a dog barking and then listening to the actual dog that's about to come and bite you, then you'll be able to get a lot further. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, the book goes into details on how to deal with people that are going to disagree with you. you got to understand that um, there's always going to be people who are jealous or envious of your success, and they're going to do anything in their ability to bring you down. I know that because I lived it firsthand, you know, in that community that I was in as the chief of police. Uh, it was a very racially divided community. I was the first minority police chief. They did not like, and these are their words. We don't like taking orders from a spick and a Mexican drug lord. You know, just because I was from El Paso, Texas and Hispanic, they assumed I was a drug lord, you know? Um, so, you know, those are the kind of things that we talk about in that book. And there's a chapter in that book that talks about as a leader, it's okay to upset people. It's okay to tell people, no, it's okay to tell people, you know what, I'll get back to you or no, you can't do this. Or, you know what, I'm going to hold you accountable. And when you start holding people accountable as a leader is really when you start to realize who the true professionals are in the, in the business, because those that, if you're holding people accountable to the same standard, you hold yourself accountable. They understand that. And they will continue to follow you. The people that, 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 that want to work on the buddy system or the good old boy system will fall off once you start holding them accountable and they'll start turning your life into a living hell, if that makes sense. Uh, yeah, that system has not gone away, huh? Nope, no. Nope. And that's what the book prepares you. It's like, look, these are the things that no one's, no, no leadership school, no university, no leadership development program is going to teach you. So let me just be upfront about it. If you want to get into the role of leadership, be prepared. You know, as a matter of fact, I'm dealing with a situation right now in my private company. You know, I'm dealing uh, in, in, with, a, with an issue right now um, trying to justify something that somebody wrote about me uh, seven years ago on a blog because oh. they, didn't, they didn't like me. You know, they made up this, they fabricated this story about me. Uh, on a blog uh, to try to discredit me. And it's like, dude, I mean, you know what? I wish my, one, I wish my life was that exciting. Two, how does anybody even believe this is even humanly possible? Really? And three, and, and because, of, because of that story, I'm having to justify uh, a contract that, that, that we were awarded. And now we might be uh, on the edge of losing it because of, of a false narrative that somebody that dislikes me wrote about me seven years ago. And it, it makes no sense, but wow. they only, they only do that because, you know, in, in the society that we live in today, you know, everybody uh, accepts and believes in alternative facts, misinformation and disinformation. 
and nobody actually goes after the actual facts. You know, it's it's kind of if it's on the if it's on the internet, it's got to be true. It's like, well, mm-hmm. okay, that, that's not necessarily the truth. So in the book, we go into detail as how to deal with these type of situations and how you have to handle them. And, wow. and the basic truth is that you know what, when you're dealing with situations like this, you can't be afraid to talk about them. You have to, unfortunately, meet them head on, and 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 take them and meet them blow to blow. And it's basically, unfortunately, in the world we live in today, you know, you've got your side, their side, and then you have the truth and hope that whoever is making a decision will meet you somewhere in the middle and understand what reality really is, you know? For sure. Yeah, it's just too bad that you have to go back like seven years ago. Well, you know, it's ridiculous that I have to have this conversation, not not this conversation with you, but this I've been in law enforcement 27 years. Somebody wrote a story about me that supposedly says that I was indicted for embezzling $5.6 million of Homeland Security funds. And it's like, um, okay. However, I continued my law enforcement career. So if I embezzled money, shouldn't I be behind bars? If I did this, why do people continue to hire me? If I did this, don't you think you would see it all over the news? Or are you just that good of a reporter that you're the only one who found it to put it on your two cent blog? Sure. Yeah, that should be easily defendable. That that doesn't make sense because we would be behind bars. That kind of money, uh, supposedly. Well, I mean, come on. You you you're talking about a story that says that you embezzled 5.6 million dollars worth of homeland security money belonging to the government. You yet the only place people. the <laughs> only place you can find that is on your blog. No other news source in the entire world has covered it. Only you. Yeah, we would, we would have, everybody would have heard about that. That's just unfortunate. But yeah, you go ahead and you take those facts in there and and just uh, definitely be praying for you with that. I I would appreciate because the power of prayer is important. You know, and, and this is why. You know, this is one of the things that I also do, and I don't know if it was in my re- in my in my letter of introduction to you. Is you know, I'm a big believer in prison reform because I do believe that you know, there's a lot of people out there who have been falsely accused and uh, and have been incarcerated for the wrong reasons. You know, and I really do think that we need uh, not only I, I think systematically across the nation, a lot of our systems are broken. You know, the the social economics of, of our world are turned upside down. You know, there's there's total disparity. There's no a lot of people believe that there's equality, but there's not equity involved in this. You know, if you don't know the differences, you know, you you don't you don't see the lopsidedness of how our society is being treated right now. And that's one of the things that true leaders really need to step up and start making a difference, not just talking about it, but actually make a difference. You know. Yeah. So you teach, you know, because, you know, you have so many leaders and people and, you know, at the top, they're so scared to touch it. You know, they back off right away if it's controversial like this. So they they need to know uh, have the tools to know how to um, approach these issues and deal with it. Yeah, my my passion is prison prison reform because I have a twin brother um, who's in prison now. He's been in and out since we've been young, and um, that's what my book is about. It's about a prisoner's pardon. And just addressing the issue and how we should be looking at it um, using, of course, uh, the precepts and principles of the Bible and what God has. He has a, a true prison reform that we really have to look at. So 
and it's true justice. And I'm listening to what you are doing is straight up exactly what needs to be done where I, when you get your note, your um, no colors, no labels, that's that initiative there is part of what um, the police should be doing all the time and working with the community. And because um, sometimes it's, you know, I had contact with the police. I had, you have a good police and you have bad police. And some of them just ignorant, you know, and, and you have ignorant people as well. Um, but it's, you know, we need to learn how to work together because, you know, like I said, my brother, he's been in and out and just dealing with the police sometimes because they sometimes make like I'm a criminal as well. So when they were talking to me, so I felt very uncomfortable, but not all, not all the time. But I'm just saying sometimes when you're dealing with um, people in the police department that they don't really know how to talk to them. But um, I'm not sure if they address things like this in training. Or do they just only know how to talk to, um, are they only trained to just deal with particular um, defendant or whatever, who they're working with? Or how does that training work? Are you talking about, uh, I'm sorry, the training in, in, in law Being a police officer, do you, when you, went in, when you were in training for, to be a police officer, did they talk or train, train how to uh, work with family members or? How does that work? Yeah, no, no, they, they, they do. They do. I mean, they, they go in and they talk about, I mean, the, the thing is, is it, you know, when it, when it involves training, a lot of the times when you're talking about training police officers, a lot of times the officers are tired. They've been on duty, you know, hours and hours and stuff like this. And sometimes these officers are forced to go to these trainings that a lot of the times the officers, as I talked, you know, they're not physically, mentally, or emotionally in a place to be listening to this type of stuff, you know, and it kind of just goes through the wind. Oh. However, I think that there needs to be a bigger emphasis. You know, the first place that police officer, the police organizations cut, the first place they do is they cut is, is, is money for training. That's the first place you'd cut, you know, oh. because, you know, you, you need the resources, you need the overtime, you need this, you need this to keep the officers out of the street. You know, so, you know, there's bare minimums and, and I really do feel that there needs to be a bigger emphasis on training and law enforcement. Now, again, I just want to repeat this. It sounds like I'm bashing law enforcement, but I'm not. I'm not bashing the, 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 the greatest career uh, out there. You know, um, it just needs a lot of help. It needs a lot of fixing. And I think that we've come to, you know, like this whole thing about this, this uh, uh, unfunding the police department and all this, this it's, it's totally ridiculous. I, that's what I thought. I'm like, who, who would, you know, we need, we need, we need to go off and, and do things that are totally different. You know, um, we got to think outside the box. We, we got to evaluate yes. this problem, you know, because it's not just a police officer or police organization problem. It's these problems are compounded by all the other systems across the nation that are broken. The educational yes. system, the health system, the mental health, the mental health issues, um, you know, it, all of these issues are compounded and not till we start addressing each and every one of these issues equally, equally and bring the players together from all of these um, systems together to see how, 
you know what, how does, how does the justice system work with the correction system? How does the correction system, how does the education system keep people out of the justice system? And how does, how does the mental health issue, how do, how do we address keeping people out of the system and, and, and fix all of those systems? And once you do that is when you'll be able to find, you know, and I'm not saying I have all the answers because I, I don't, I mean, I don't know how to fix the issues that we're facing, but I think the first thing we need to do is we all need to come together with a level head and at least start admitting that we have a problem. I think so too. You're right. I'm um, thinking about the mental health system and that breakdown. Um, we got a lot of people that's hooked on drugs, and that's a big issue. So yeah, I'm really thank you for this. Just listening and in, in, um, your your whole story here, especially about unmasking uh, leadership. So this. This would address some of the training that's needed in, that's in your book, right? Right. Okay. That was great. Okay, so you, I'm, I'm going to be praying for that too, that they um, just introduce your book into training and get more funding for uh, police training. I didn't realize they were cutting, so I, you know, I didn't think about them cutting training. They always do that in corporate, in corporate too, um, the first funds that they cut is usually training and those are the most necessary things that you need um, just to find out where, because it's really something that you, there's no tangible um, return right away. So that's why they usually cut training first. So Mm -hmm. how- And and, and that goes to every mm -hmm. system. I mean, you know, Mm -hmm everywhere the first place you cut is there's two places you cut in everything security and in training the worst thing both of them is the worst yep <laughs> security and training oh. okay so where i i know your book it's out on amazon right it's on amazon but if you want me to sign it for you and send it off to you uh, especially uh you know you uh, you would get a, you'll get a nicer cover it, it's a, it's a higher resonated uh, uh, color um, cover. You can get it in hard copy for $25. I'll send it to you. I'll sign it. I'll even put a small dedication to it, uh, you know, on the book and I ship it to you, shipping and handling is included. Uh, and you probably get it a lot faster through me than through Amazon. So if you would go to my website, jesusericampa.com, mm-hmm. Um, you can purchase the book there, get it autographed, free shipping and handling, dedicated to you. And uh, yeah. All right, we'll be doing that. And so the listeners too, so they know they can go on Amazon and purchase the book too. And, um, but for yeah, sure, they can buy it on Amazon as well. Okay. Is there any, I think that's going to wrap it up for us to... Jay, so is there anything else you want to tell the listeners before we? No, I just, you know, the one thing I just like to tell the listeners and I tell everybody the same thing is do not be afraid to take a stand, stand up for, you know, stand up for yourself as long as you're doing the right thing, because it's the right thing to do. You know, don't let ego get in the way, do it because it's the right thing to do. Perfect. Thank you so much. I really had a great I'm listening to what you had to bring to the show. And um, I'm pretty sure the listeners did too, just to hear from a, a police officer and let us know what's going on. And just giving us a human, you know, voice 
um, to really uh, understand. I thank you so much for, for your service and um, I'll be praying for your, your future contract and um, just answering this um, argument that's up now that they're trying to take your contract away. I'll definitely be praying for that. So thank you so much, Evan. I appreciate sure. you. And You're you so have welcome. a great evening. Thank you. It's a pleasure meeting you all. Thank you for listening to a Prisoner's Pardon Podcast with Mishi J. We pray that you've been blessed by today's episode. We ask that you please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. Don't wait. Subscribe now so you'll be automatically notified when a new show is aired. Because it very well may have been the show that gives you the answers you've been searching for. Now, if you suspect you're in a spiritual prison, Mishi J has provided a questionnaire on how to tell if you're in one. Free of charge, she's providing this to our listeners. Just go to the episode show notes and download this valuable resource. Now, until our next inspiring show, God bless.